and welcome to episode 129 of Real Life Ghost Stories. How you do? To kick things off this week, we need to thank our newest Patreon subscribers. We would like to thank Mackenzie. Joey G. Hannah McPoopin Stinker. <laughs> Heather Thompson. Kel KMS. Katie. Suvie M. Casey Jones. Clover Mojitos. Melissa Zilhart. Oshin. Rebecca Goodacre. Aaron Sargent. Ian Richardson. Monica McAvoy. Gwen. Jenny McNeil Holder. BJ Smith. Thank you so much for being our Patreon subscribers. We love you. We appreciate you every day. And our film review this week. Our film review is Tigers Are Not Afraid. Tigers Are Not Afraid was released in 2017. It has 7 out of 10 on IMDb and 97% on Rotten Tomatoes. Would you like a synopsis? Yes, please. A dark fairy tale about a gang of five children trying to survive the horrific violence of the cartels and the ghosts created every day by the drug war. What were your thoughts on this film? My initial thought is that this didn't feel like a horror film to me, but it was an exceptional film. That's the third film, I think, on the on the trot that we have done where we've been like, this actually isn't a horror film, sorry. And I, it's on Shudder, that's where we watched it, and it's marketed as a horror fantasy film. And even though it is a fantasy film, the fantasy elements of it are pretty grim. Like, they're scary, scary as. And it's a lot of the kind of the undead coming back to haunt this little girl. And it is, it's it's freaky, but though the freakiness of it is like a subplot rather than the main premise of the story. I found this film really hard to watch. Like, really hard as in emotionally hard. It really disturbed me. The level of violence, which I understand is very real. I mean, it's not gory. It's not gratuitous. Uh, just really, it re- I, I found it really upsetting, actually. I think it's hard to watch because, as a viewer, you know that that is the reality for a lot of children around the world, which makes it really hard to watch. But I thought it was exceptionally well done. I thought the sort of fantastical elements of it were done in a way that were scary, they weren't central to the plot, I didn't feel. Like, they they kind of helped the story move along. But actually, the plot was about these kids' journey and how it sort of interacted with the criminal elements of the underworld around it. And I, I just thought it was really, really well done. I know you haven't seen Pan's Labyrinth, which I still don't understand <laughs> no, I how... Because I talk... Not because... Because <laughs> there's loads of, like, classic and famous films that I haven't seen. But I've spoken to you about Pan's Labyrinth so many times and we still haven't sat down and watched it. But this film is exactly the same feelings as Pan's Labyrinth where you don't quite know whether the fantasy element is completely imaginary or whether it's completely real or whether it's a bit of both but I think the the thing about the film that I thought the director and the actors got across really well is that the children are living in this horrific world that's really violent their parents have been taken away from them and murdered and they're always at risk of being kidnapped but there's great moments where they're just children and they're interspersed throughout it where they're being really silly, they're playing games. Oh, and it's it's it made it very emotional for me, I think. It's a film you need to be in a state of mind to watch it. But when you do watch it, you'll be glad you did. Yeah, the children actors are exceptional. I keep using that word. And I really like the way that graffiti was used throughout to sort of add to the story very subtly. It was a very nice touch. It's an interesting one because I don't think we've really done like a a fairy tale style horror like this in a very long time and it was 
it was really worth the watch. Just just really interesting. It is a foreign language film, so you have to be engaged and have the subtitles on. Like I, I knew this was a foreign language film, so I very specifically said, we're going to watch it at this time. I'm not going to have my phone. I'm going to make sure that I'm paying attention so that I can understand and follow the plot and read the subtitles. But it's definitely, it's definitely worth it. And I would like to use this form to say, well done, because you did both those things and you did actually pay attention all the way through and you were following the story. So congratulations. <laughs> Thanks very much. <laughs> Thanks. Because I know lots of people get really annoyed when they're like, why would you do film reviews when you don't watch the films? Well, I do try. OK, and that's what matters. I try and watch the films. But yeah, I, I think it's it's very difficult to speak about this film because it deals with such a harrowing concept and a harrowing reality. Like you said, there are plenty of children all over the world who do live this reality. And I think the fairy tale element was a great way to tell a really dark story. Yeah, like the children are amazing and they're really funny. Like the children are silly and funny and but also really hardened to the world that's going on around them. And just as a as a point of warning, there are deaths in this film that are very upsetting, incredibly upsetting. And and I found it very difficult. But overall, I think it's definitely worth the watch. So what, what would you give this film out of five? This is a five-star movie for me. Oh, me too. It's a five-star movie, but I, it's not a true horror. So if you're watching this movie and thinking, oh, I'm going to be freaked out or I'm settling down to watch a really good horror film, that this is not it. I don't even think the horror elements... Uh, the, I don't even think there's that much horror element in the film, really. There's the, the bits that are like fantasy. They're disturbing, I think. Uh, but it's definitely along the same lines as Pan's Labyrinth. If you enjoyed Pan's Labyrinth, you will enjoy this film definitely which brings us to our stories this week so a large proportion this is a very tenuous link i apologize in advance (laughs) a large proportion of this story was centered around a mobile phone and all of the trouble that this mobile phone caused for both the cartel and the children involved in this story also in my copy of the 14 times that arrived last week the main story was all about phone calls from the dead. Oh, no. So our story this week is all about phone calls from the dead. Now, I will say that within this, there are kind of multiple different stories, but I'm not going to stop after every one just because the discussion will end up kind of being quite similar. So we're going to sail through the stories and then we'll talk about it at the end. Are you ready? No, you know, I hate technology and ghosts, ghosts and technology, technical ghosts. I really tried to hide our topic from Dan this week. I was like hiding my copy of the 14 times and not letting him see the res- the research I was doing. And then I-, I accidentally left the 14 times out on the sofa. And he was like, are we doing, are we doing technology ghosts this week? Yes, we are. As humans, we have a need to communicate. And although some people need and desire communication more than others... The basic premise of how we live our lives in the modern world is based on communication. The companies that we buy from need communication to function. We communicate with the providers of our utilities and we are always finding new and novel ways to communicate with each other. From smoke signals to carrier pigeons, from nudging on MSN to FaceTime, we have created ways to maintain global communication with each other. And when you really stop and think about it, it's pretty amazing. One of the most enduring technologies is the telephone. It hasn't simply disappeared out of obscurity. Rather, it has continuously improved over the years. 
The telephone is something we can all relate to, whether you still use a landline or you have an old brick or you have the latest iPhone. We all use or have used a phone at one point in our lives. But what about after we die? Do we still have the ability and the impetus to call up the ones that we love? Or even the ones that we hate? The telephone was invented in 1876, and by the 1930s most affluent homes had one. The first recorded case of a phone call from the dead came just two years after the phone was invented. Mr O'Connor had a phone line installed that stretched between his office and the office of the Cemetery of the Holy Sepulchre in Newark in New Jersey. The phone line was in good working order, but three weeks after it had been installed, the phone began to ring at four o'clock in the morning. It went on every night that O'Connor and his wife would be woken at 4am and each time there would be no voice on the other end. The office at the cemetery was locked and empty and the phone line seemed to be in good working order and eventually O'Connor began to suspect that the calls were not coming from any living inhabitants of the cemetery. Another story circulated in 1886 of an undertaker who had a phone line installed to the cemetery offices. One night he received a call, and I quote, The voice that called him was so strange that it made him shudder. It was so wonderfully distinct, and yet so slow, so cold, so far away, that it sounded like nothing he had ever heard. The caller only said hello, and then the line went dead but the undertaker was so traumatised by the event and so convinced that he had received a call from the grave that he had the phone line removed. In 1896, a man who was only referred to as Mr B received a call at his office which simply said, Go to your father's house at once, poor Nelly is dead. And after rushing to his father's house, he found that his sister Nelly had died suddenly, but no one in the house had made the phone call. In fact, he received the call at the exact time that Nellie had died. Later in 1917, a ghostly operator caused chaos in southern Indiana. People began to receive nightly long-distance calls from Petersburg and a strange female voice would tell them that she was an operator who had died and she would sing religious songs and tell them information that she couldn't possibly have known. There were several attempts to find out who the mystery caller was, but no answers were forthcoming. It turned out that the head operator in the Petersburg office had indeed died the year before, and many people naturally speculated that she was the mystery caller. So phantom phone calls are most certainly not a new phenomenon. They seem to have been around since the very invention of the telephone, and the phenomenon has continued until this day. These are stories that are as individual as the people that experience them. But in the book Phone Calls from the Dead, written by parapsychologists D. Scott Rogo and Raymond Bayliss, the calls are split into three main categories. There are calls from the dead where someone who has passed on phones a living person. They may have a brief or extended conversation. There are calls of intention, where someone who is deceased calls a living person and gives them a distinct message usually a warning. 
and there are answered calls, where a person calls a deceased person without realising they have died and they have a conversation. It is also most common for these calls to take place 24 hours or less after a person's death, and also for the voice of the deceased to sound very far away, the call to be full of static, and for the person's voice to fade in and out. I really thought when I was researching this episode that I would struggle to find stories, but actually the opposite happened. I was completely overwhelmed with the sheer volume of accounts of this phenomenon that exists online. In this episode we'll cover a number of them that have been sourced from various corners of the internet, and I have specifically chosen ones that fall maybe outside the realms of what we believe to be standard fare for these types of stories. In March 2018, French sociologist Lorraine Kasperwicz produced a book called Phone Calls from the Beyond, and within this he outlined his own story of contact from the other side. We've covered numerous tales of the loss of pets on this podcast, and for many people losing a pet can be just as traumatic as losing a human loved one, and sometimes even more so. Kasperwicz was no different. His beloved dog had been put down after battling cancer, and he was completely devastated. Around five days after the death of his dog, he was travelling in the car with his mother and his brother, and they were discussing the terrible grief that comes with losing a pet, and swapping stories of their various pets. Emotions were high, and Kasperwicz exclaimed aloud, I hope we get to meet our dogs again in heaven. I just wish she could give me a sign that she was okay. That's a pretty standard feeling and response to the death of any loved one, but it prompted a chain of events that changed Kasperwicz's life. Not minutes after he had made this plea to the universe, he received a text message. The message read in all caps, Hi, my arrival went great, everything is going well, Julie. Kasperwicz read the message a number of times, confused. He didn't know anyone named Julie, and he didn't recognise the number. He presumed that the text was a wrong number and forgot all about it. But the next day, the phone call started. Over and over again, the phone would ring and they couldn't figure out what the problem was. The phone company confirmed that there were no incoming calls being recorded. Then the phone would ring, and the intercom for their home would begin buzzing at the exact same time. They assumed, naturally, that there was some sort of electrical fault, but checks confirmed that everything was fine. And then the answering machine began to record when the phone would ring. Kasperwicz would answer the phone to silence and static, but the machine would begin to record without being prompted, and the recorded message would always be the same. The indistinct chattering and joyous laughter of a large gathering of people. The calls continued, until eventually, nestled in the static, a tapping sound began to emerge. It became clearer and clearer, until eventually... Kasperwicz realised that it was some sort of communication. One tap for yes and two for no. He began asking questions which were always accurately answered and eventually he asked a question about his beloved dog. The tapping stopped 
and was replaced by the unmistakable heavy panting of a dog. And then the line went dead. And Kasperwicks never had a similar experience again. In 2012, the BBC ran a story about a man called Jack Fruiz, who had passed away from a heart arrhythmia. Jack was a good and loyal friend, and his death devastated those who knew him. He was only in his early 30s. Months after his death, Jack's friend Tim was going through his emails. He described how he physically felt the blood drain from his face and go cold in his veins when he saw that he had received an email from Jack Fruiz. He opened the email, barely daring to breathe. The email was short and to the point. The subject line said, I'm watching. And the body of the email said, Did you hear me? I'm at your house. Now clean your fucking attic. It was signed Jack Fruiz. One of the last times Tim and Jack had been together, they had been in Tim's attic. He was planning to renovate, and Jack had laughed and told him that he needed to start by cleaning it. The conversation was so banal at the time that Tim had never shared it with anyone. Around the same time that Tim had received the email, Jack's cousin Jim had also received an email. Jim and Jack had been best friends all of their lives, and Jack's death had been emotionally crippling. The email read, Hey Jim, how you doing? I knew you were going to break your ankle. I tried to warn you, you got to be careful. The week before the email arrived, Jim had broken his ankle on the way to work. Jack's friends and family claimed that no one knew his email password, and they chose not to investigate the situation further, and to just accept it as Jack letting them know that he was still watching over them in his own way. Author Dean Kuntz was the recipient of a warning call in 1988. He was working in his office as normal when the phone rang and a woman's voice was on the line. She sounded very far away and spoke with urgency. Please, be careful, she told him. Please, please, be careful. And then the line went dead. It would be 10 years before Dean would talk about this experience because he believed the voice on the other end of the phone was the voice of his mother, who had died some years before. He was obviously very shaken by the experience, but quickly put it to the back of his mind. He felt like maybe he was being overdramatic, or just being ridiculous. A few days later, he received a call from the facility where his dad was being looked after to say that his father's behaviour was becoming a problem. Dean quickly went to visit and unbeknownst to him, his father had secretly made a switchblade out of a fishing knife and attacked Dean when he arrived. Dean narrowly avoided being stabbed and managed to wrestle the knife from his father. Someone called the police and Dean's father was escorted to another facility. So what is happening in these stories? Are the dead manipulating communication devices to talk to their loved ones? It would seem logical that a medium that we use to communicate while alive would be a medium that we use when we die. But there is also the possibility that the people in these stories are the receiving end of a sick joke. 
This is particularly possible for the communications that allegedly occur after someone has died. While this may seem completely gross to most people, there are unfortunately some who would find this amusing, or at least get some weird sense of satisfaction from it. This doesn't explain, however, the warning phone calls, or the calls that happen at the exact time of someone's death. There are also apps that allow you to manipulate phone calls in various ways and services like Dead Man Switch that will send emails for you after you die. But the sheer volume of stories makes it impossible that such a number of deceased people would have set up these services. And these stories have been around longer than any of these services were available. Phone numbers of the deceased often get reissued after a certain period of disconnection. But how likely is it that the new recipient of the number would randomly call a family member of the deceased? Is it possible that these stories are born of a mix of grief and coincidence? Perhaps a prank or accidental phone call at the time of death of a loved one makes hearing their voice at the end of the line much more likely? Again, while this might be true for lots of these stories, it still doesn't explain the warning calls. As you can see, I have thought myself around in circles for this one. The user SirenXSong posted on Reddit that they worked for a company that managed phone calls for various businesses if they were closed or out to lunch or unavailable for whatever reason. One of their clients was a funeral home. One day he received a call from a distressed woman who asked if her mother's phone was in her casket. Her mother had died and was in the funeral home awaiting burial. She was distressed, as she had been receiving calls from her mother's phone, so the poster agreed to call the funeral home director directly and discuss it with him. When he called the funeral home director, the director assured him that the woman's phone was, yes, in her casket, but it was now sealed ready for burial. He assured that he would call the distressed woman and then chuckled and said... Oh, don't worry. This happens all the time. If you, like me, are still struggling to understand these stories, I'm going to leave you with one more. This story was taken directly from the fact-checking website Snopes and was verified by them to be true. The reason I've done this is so that you can see that I haven't added any dramatic flair or expanded any of the facts of this story. On the 12th of September 2008 at 4.22pm in California's San Fernando Valley, a commuter train carrying 225 riders collided at a combined speed of 83 miles per hour with a freight train run by a crew of three. In what came to be known as the Chatsworth Crash, 135 people were injured, 87 of whom were taken to hospitals, 46 in critical condition, and 25 died. One of the deceased was 49-year-old Charles E. Peck, a customer service agent for Delta Airlines at Salt Lake City International Airport. He had come to Los Angeles for a job interview at an airport because gaining work in the Golden State would have allowed him to wed his fiancée, who lived in Westlake Village. The pair had put off getting married until they were living in the same state. Peck had three grown children from a previous union. His fiancée heard about the crash from a news report on the radio as she was driving to the train station to pick up her intended. 
Peck's parents and siblings who lived in the LA area joined her. Peck's body was recovered from the wreckage 12 hours after the accident. Yet, for the first 11 of those hours, his cell phone placed call after call to his loved ones. He called his son, his brother, his stepmother, his sister and his fiancée. In all, his various family members received 35 calls from his cell phone through that long night. When they answered, they heard static. When they called back, their calls went straight to voicemail. There are some reports that when they answered, they heard a small, faraway voice. But the calls gave them hope that the man they loved was still alive, just trapped somewhere in the wreckage. The barrage of calls prompted search crews to trace the whereabouts of the phone through its signal and to once again look through what was left of the first train, which was the location the calls were coming from. The call searchers finally found Peck's body about an hour after the calls from his cell phone stopped. Charles Peck had died on impact. Yet long past his death, his cell phone had continued to reach out to many of those he cared most about and ultimately led rescuers to find his remains. As far as the investigators revealed, they never found his cell phone. It just seems to be so many instances of this kind of thing happening. I find it really unnerving. Like I don't feel like any of these particular stories were scary beyond the fact that their phone calls from the dead like it wasn't like heroin it was just someone calling loved ones which is kind of okay but it's still really freaky no and i had to be really selective about the ones that i chose because i i can't even describe how many stories there are of this hundreds and hundreds i was sifting through trying to find really good ones because a lot of them are quite similar you know it's it's difficult then to make it interesting when a lot of the stories are similar but these ones in particular I thought oh these are these are a little bit interesting they're a little bit different and the Dean Koontz one in particular is a really well-known story and I think it was 10 years after it happened he finally started talking about it he also in his story somebody called the police like I said but when the police arrived he was the one holding the knife because he had wrestled the knife from his dad and he ended up nearly getting shot by the police because they mistook him for the perpetrator. Yeah, it, it, I mean, it, the whole, the, this whole episode and researching this episode just had my mind chasing itself around in circles for real. It kind of makes sense to me that, that moments after death, contact takes place through something that's become so commonplace in modern life. But it does make me wonder, are there instances of ghost letters? Yes, there are. So there were ghost letters in actually the Battersea Poltergeist in that case. So I think letters aren't uncommon in poltergeist cases, not necessarily in family loved one cases, but definitely in the Battersea Poltergeist. I'm fairly sure in Annabelle, the story of Annabelle, there was letters involved. And there was another one that was before the end or the Battersea Poltergeist where there were letters involved too. So it's not actually uncommon. See, now the thing is you can, the like... I'm obviously of the belief that those letters have come from ghosts because why wouldn't I believe that? But it's it's way easier to argue argue the fact for a ghost letter, isn't it? Because it takes so long to get to the recipient. So you could say, well, you know, maybe they wrote it a couple of days before they died or whatever or it got held up in the post or whatever reason. 
with something like a phone call, it's very hard to dispute as easily, I think, isn't it? And even, you know, where I said about um, the dead man's switch, which I think is chaotic. Mm. But you, so you can pay a service that will send emails after you die. Now, I don't know if that means you're expecting that you're going to die. You're going to live until you're 18. You start sending me emails after that point. I don't know how it works. But you have to write them as far as I know. Either that or they're just generic emails. So in the case of Jack Faris, who it's very possible that it was a loved one who was sending emails. But it couldn't have been a dead man's switch for his case. Because the emails that the people received were so specific to them. Like his cousin breaking his ankle and his friend cleaning his attic. Which is a really like banal conversation to have genuinely. But very clear who it's from and why what it's about as well because that is a conversation that they shared that was banal when they shared it but it's actually an indication that it's likely to have been from him because why would you talk about that like it was tonally very correct I feel I think on a very real level there is a strong possibility that some of these stories not necessarily these ones that we've read today but some of the stories are like a mistaken identity, like I said, you know, a prank phone call or an accidental phone call that people misinterpret due to grief or desperation or whatever. But there's some of them that I find just really strange. Who knew that dogs could use phones? And you know what? It makes me really happy. That dog is the best boy, right? Girl. (laughs) Girl, best girl. Able to use, able to use a phone to let her master know she was all right in the afterlife because he explicitly expressed a desire to know and she tried every method that she could possibly think of to tell him Uh, and I'm very impressed with that dog I would be mortally terrified if it happened to me but you know well I mean good girl but it sounds like she's in a great place because all those recordings were of people laughing and having a good time and then she's there too having an absolute ball you know why not there's also, I, I read a really interesting story about Edison who said he was inventing a telephone to contact the dead. So he had given like a magazine interview and he said that he was working on a telephone that would allow him to contact the dead. And in modern times, people believe that he did it to wind up the reporters like he was playing a joke on them and they went ahead and printed the story. But the response to that story was just immense i think they had they received over 600 letters in the week following which is huge for the time from people who were saying like i can help him i want to be a part of this please can you pass you know my message on to him please can you ask him to contact my loved one and then people saying well this already exists there's already a way to contact the dead via telephone so you know while he was hang on is it unlikely but that was just people's response to it but while he was probably taking the piss and making a bit of a joke People really wanted that to be a thing. I guess if that's how you communicate with the living, then it's a simple it's a it's a simple step in your brain to make to say, well, why can't you just why can't you contact the dead like that? So I think some of it is about our need as humans to contact our loved ones after they die, like the Ouija board. But other ones, I I don't know. I I don't know. I don't know about this either. It's, it freaks me out no end. Like I've I've spoken about this before about not really not liking the idea of 
you know getting weird phone calls and stuff like that and you know if we work on the basis of energies which is really like a common conversation for modern paranormal research i feel like it's a thing that could happen like we've had loads of stories of different things being manipulated as a way of showing someone that you're there or showing that there's a spirit present why not mobile phones why not emails for once, I'm actually going to agree with you. What? <laughs> I am. I, I agree with you. I've been thinking about this a lot this week because it's really it's really messed with my head that just the volume of stories, I think, and, and the research that's gone into it. And now, granted, the research is anecdotal research. It's not empirical evidence. So you can't scientifically prove any of this stuff. But if you think of modern ghost hunters and ghost hunting TV shows or whatever and this is no shade to anybody who uses this equipment but you see things like we've spoken about the paranormal puck device and the oculus is that what it's called well done yes nobody can really explain how they work so i know that people are going to say the ghosts manipulate the energy to create words but how and that's working on the basis that we understand how ghosts if they exist operate in the afterlife or in our world but as ghosts None of it really has any scientific basis, no matter how creators and manufacturers try and pretend that it does, right? But there's two things that I think maybe they do hold some weight. That's EVPs, because you have a little device in your hand and you say, speak into this device and we'll be able to hear you, right? So I kind of get that one. And most of the time, EVP recorders are just handheld voice recorders, which we use to like dictate things and stuff like that. Yeah, so it wouldn't be outside the realms of possibility that someone would understand if they were dead, that a a ghost would understand that. The other thing is that if we put weight into like paranormal puck 2 and ovulus and all those devices, then why not have a conversation about whether or not ghosts can use, can manipulate telephone lines after they die? Because it's kind of the same concept, except with telephones, at least you know that it's likely that at some point in their life they used one. So know of their existence. Imagine if like the next series of Ghost Adventures, like Zach Bagans puts his number on a board, obviously not in front of the camera, but in the room and is just like, right, if you're in this room, I want you to call me now. And then his phone goes off, like the whole network would melt, wouldn't it? There was this, a really short story that I read and I think it was in um, a research paper, but it was about a woman who had uh, two like old mobile phones. I think everybody does that where you keep old mobile phones that maybe still work, but you don't use anymore. And they were both out of battery. And the two of them lit up at the same time. And then formed a giant robot. And formed a giant robot to take down humanity. If you've seen Wellington Paranormal, you would understand that. But the two of them lit up at the same time. And a voice came from the mobiles, like an electronic voice that said, I'm proud of you. How oh, weird is that? Oh, oh, no, 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 no. I don't need to hear those stories. No. Isn't that so weird? And I read it and I thought, but that's not a phone call or a text message. That's the voice coming from the phone, like a mechanical voice saying, I'm proud of you. And in her head, she thought, I think it was either her dad or her granddad. And she thought, oh, that's their way of communicating. So she took great comfort from it. But obviously for us, objectively, we're like, fuck that. That's literal electronic voice phenomenon, isn't it? Literally, yeah. Whoa, no, I I can't handle that. I cannot handle that, no. No. It also begs the question, like we always talk about in listener stories, because I'm never critical of listener stories because the, people have chosen to send in stories to our podcast and we're not a podcast that's, you know, renowned for being scientific or anything. So it, it stands to reason that they don't want us to be like, well, that never happened. But 
a lot of the people in these stories took comfort from what happened. So is it therefore worthwhile trying to trying to debunk them? Because they mean so much to the people that have received those phone calls. Like the last story of Charles Peck, which I thought was... I mean, it's just devastating. And, it, you know, there's pe- there was people in the Reddit forums that I was reading where they where they said it's likely that his phone was damaged in the crash, malfunctioned and was repeatedly called in speed dial, for example. Maybe that is what happened. But for his family, their, their loved one's body was found because his phone led them to him. You know, so how can you really take that away from them, I guess? I think that's where the value lies in all these stories, really, isn't it? It's about what it brings to the person that happens. Now, if we, you read me a whole load of really terrifying stories where it was about persistent phone calls, like mal- malicious phone calls and stuff like that, then, you know, maybe I'd put a bit more effort into trying to debunk it, even though I don't think I can. But these are all stories where there's comfort or resolution brought. And, you know, even if it does turn out that it's a coincidence, good. The early stories were from literally two years after the phone was invented. So you could argue that, like I said, it was a psychological thing. We had this, suddenly had this device that you could communicate with people over long distances instantaneously. And our human imagination is obsessed with the dead and, and was at the time, you know, we were burgeoning on spirituality so is it beyond the realms of possibility that these stories that even the older ones are like urban legends or myths that because we were frightened that the phone would be misused by the dead? I also feel that when it's that early on in the technology's existence, you probably have to put 50% of all of those down to faults. Like it genuinely could just be a fault that that phone kept ringing in the mortuary at four o'clock in the morning. Like it, You don't know what the technology was doing at that point, do you really? And why did Mr. O'Connor, for his first phone line have a phone line to the cemetery. You understand with the funeral home, the yeah. mortuary, like you get that. They need to have a direct line to the cemetery. Mr. O'Connor sounds like a random businessman. <laughs> Why is his direct line to the cemetery, may I ask? I wonder if he was some kind of crook and he was just like the direct line to the, he had someone working at the cemetery would let him know when like rich people died and then he'd like open claims against their estate really oh. quickly. In which case, if that is the case, you deserve your haunting. I'm sorry. Most definitely. With the early invention stories, it kind of just dismisses the fact that we've been talking about how like people would have used a phone in our modern world. So it makes sense that they would try and contact their loved ones via it back in 1896 or whatever, whenever the phone was invented. And that wouldn't have happened because most people hadn't Mm. even seen a phone because it was only rich people that would have one. Part of me also wonders whether if we talk about, you know, like how, again, going back to energies is a thing which I haven't really got any scientific proof of, but we we always, modern paranormal hunters always work on the premise that it takes a lot of energy for a ghost to f- physically manifest, but certain other things take less energy. Maybe if you're, if you've just passed over and you're trying to contact your loved ones, maybe actually in terms of energy, it's the easiest thing to do is to manipulate a phone to let them know rather than appear to them or talk to them or something like that it's very telling as well because you you said about how the stories that we told today weren't particularly scary and they weren't but i didn't really i didn't say they weren't scary they did scare me i just said they weren't particularly malicious malicious then is the word <laughs> word i didn't really find that many stories if any of people who had like demonic phone calls or 
negative phone calls, phone calls that scared them, yes, but not necessarily phone calls that were particularly malicious. And that's probably quite telling that we see it as a positive and comforting thing, a warning or someone to say that they're okay or they've made it to the other side, whatever that means. So yeah, it's, it's a, it's a weird, it's a strange topic and it's really melted my brain this week. Yes. <laughs> I would like to point out as well that if you are listening and you're a paranormal investigator and you use any of those devices, I'm not trying to like delegitimize what you do. I just don't, nobody has ever been able to kind of satisfactorily explain the science behind how those machines allegedly work. Um, and I think if we, if those are in the modern canon, it would make entirely make sense that, you know, people who had passed on would be able to manipulate phone lines for their own advantage and dogs as well, apparently. And that story just filled me to the brim with joy. I loved it so much. And there are millions of other stories to be read about this topic. All of the links to the various resources that I use this week are in the description of this episode and including, you know, some some links where you'll have be inundated with different stories about phone calls from the dead. So they're well worth an explore, I think, if you want them. I'm very glad you added in the with stories from about phone calls from the dead and not just inundated with phone calls from the dead because I would not be wanting to click on those links, to be honest. We could set up a deadline <laughs> where any ghosts could contact us. Like, we get to interview Doug, get to interview Freddy, but you could do that interview because I don't want to do that one. And then have a deadline where, you know, dead people could ring up and leave messages for their loved ones. That would be an amazing concept for a film by the way a comedy horror film just if anybody in hollywood wants to come and talk to me i'm here if you enjoy this week's episode you can find out everybody you can find out everybody that wants to leave you messages from the other side oh my brain you can find out everything you need to know about us on reallifeghoststoriespodcast.com you can send your own spooky story to reallifeghoststoriespodcast at gmail.com you can support us on Patreon where for $5 a month or $2 a month you get access to heaps and heaps of extra content and that is patreon.com forward slash stories. unfortunately because Patreon has deemed us as adult content because we swear sometimes we are actually quite difficult to search for so the link to our Patreon is in the description of every episode that we release and is also on our website and on that note we shall see you next week bye bye